and welcome to the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. I'm Sarah Merle. And this week we have, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> did anything happen this week? Like, it, it, <laughs> I, I feel like nothing's gone. <laughs> I was going to say, we are uh, technically exactly where we were last week, but just a bunch of other shit. The, the the path back to the starting line was quite circuitous this week, I think we can say. I feel like this would make a very good Looney Tunes, where, you know, oh. uh, Wile E. Coyote is running and running and running and running and running, only to end up right back where he began, and then an anvil to fall yeah. on him. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so we're going to hit two of the major topics this week. First, the failed uh, Wagner Group uh, rebellion in Russia which is still an, I guess, developing story since nobody really knows how it's going to turn out in the end and what the fuck's going on, but we'll at least cover the basics. I was going to say, I have a feeling, and it involves plutonium and a dead guy, but, you know, that's that's my best guess. Well, it's definitely going to involve a dead guy. Who that dead guy's <laughs> going to be is still an open question. That's right. Um, And then, speaking of dead guys, um, we're going to be talking about safety regulations, why they're good, and uh, why maybe now is probably not a great time uh, to go sightseeing by the Titanic. Nope, not a good time. I would argue that it never was unless you were literally James Cameron himself, who has the... I found out something really interesting about the submersible that James Cameron used, which, like, I don't know what we're going to talk about first, but I just thought this was really fascinating. (laughs) Um, In diving, you have something called, like, basically an emergency inflator, right? Which, like, Mm -hmm. shoots you back up to the surface, which can be a whole host of dangerous issues on its own. But this submersible that Cameron was using, you there's the outer shell, and then there was this like perfect sphere, which if you know, a perfect sphere is the only thing that evenly distributes high pressure on all sides, internally or externally. And that in this, if anything got caught, right, like if the machinery got caught up on something, they could eject that little bubble out of this like casing and it would float <laughs> to the surface. That is genius. Isn't that awesome? I love it. What a great yeah. idea. Um, yeah. See, James Cameron actually knew what the fuck he was doing. Okay, we're, we'll get to that, that in a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. way too much to get to, so we're not going to do Eaton Eaton uh, no. this week. We're going to just dive right in. So, uh, in maybe the strangest bit of news, I guess, strangest world event in, in a while. Um, and this is this is gunning for some pretty stiff competition. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner Group, which is a mercenary group uh, operating out of Russia, um, started a rebellion against the Putin regime and then just sort of noped out at the last minute. Uh, yep. So, Sarah, when this started, you know, June 23rd, <laughs> everything starts. Um, Prigozhin releases a video. Um, rejects uh, Putin's justification for invading Ukraine, talks about Uh. the evil of Russian military leadership, announces that the Wagner group will lead a, quote, march for justice, end quote, against the Russian military. Um, What was your initial response? So, you know, I know very, very little about the actual, like, what I, what, you know, uh, when you walk into a room as a child and all the adults are sort of stunned in silence and you're like, ooh, 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 something just happened. Something like bigger than I understand just happened. So 
So I, you know, obviously I know what I know about Putin. Anybody who's been alive and conscious for the last 20 years know that Putin is a iron fisted hardline, you know, it's funny how everybody who ever speaks out against him ends up either dead or in prison is what I'm what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. And so to to go against Putin in that way, in any regard, right, is like automatically just like, oh, shit. Then I find out that the leader of the Wagner group is like Putin's homie, like, mm-hmm. like on the level of like, like like Chandler betraying Ross. You know what I mean? Like, this is not just like, um, like these are OGs back in the KGB days. And like, in and of itself, the fact that Putin thinks of his KGB days as like the good old days, like when everything was really, when life was good, you know, uh, back in his good old death squad days. Uh, this is, this is, earth shattering right this is like a this is an f5 tornado of descent within the ranks right i i 100 agree that prigozhin was uh for was often called putin's chef um not for any uh not not because he literally made vlad's food but uh prigozhin had been a uh, hot dog salesman <laughs> um before he became a mercenary group leader uh sorry he made a lot of food in the a lot of money in the food industry um Mm -hmm. but yes i mean this is (laughs) before i I mean it's it's quite the career shift uh Mm -hmm. i have to say and um so then on the 24th there was the crossing the rubicon moment it wasn't just the threat anymore pergozin and the wagner group crossed over from ukraine into russia and they went into rostov on don which is in the southern part of russia and a lot of, uh, I think, pe- non-Russians discovered that Rostov is um, similar to Springfield. There are a lot of them. Um, this was the <laughs> Rostov on Don, though. So that's how you know which one it was. Uh, and then they started marching on uh, on Moscow. And, at that, and got very close. And got very, very close. Um, and there was actually fire exchange between them, that there were mili- Russian military, military helicopters who fired on the Wagner group. Some of uh, Russian military aircraft got shot down. Um, so there, there was actual, like, there, there was an actual firefight. So all the bullshit about no blood being spilled, I mean, it's exactly that. It's bullshit. So then, out of nowhere, Wagner says, fuck this, we're, we're out, we've struck a deal, and then nothing. So when, when, when the... Uh, uh, like let's GTFO came out from Pergozin. Like how did that surprise you? What was your reaction? Oh, okay. So there's so much interesting things going on here because like the fact that Putin negotiates with this guy at all, right? Like uh-huh. in any other scenario, unless the Russian military is like mortally wounded in some way, right? Like they rain down hell on this group, right? Uh-huh. Like there is no other outcome in a fully functioning, you know, stocked and staffed, if you will, Russian military, where those, that's not a bloodbath, right? But that didn't happen. Instead, what he did was negotiate an exile in Belarus with, you know, who like the, the PR story is, of course, that like Putin uh, hates, um, oh my God, what's the, what's the prime minister of, or the, <laughs> the dictator of Belarus? Uh, Lukashenko. Name? Lukashenko, like that, that they're, you know, opposing or whatever but like all of a sudden then uh you know there's this like 
plan to just send him to exile and call it a day, which is like, sorry, sorry, what? Like, imagine the hardest of hard asses, you know, like not firing someone and humiliating them on the spot for a no call, no show. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's I agree with you. It's deeply confusing. Right. Uh, Totally out of character for what we imagine from from Putin. And I mean, so. My feeling about this is that, like, regardless about whether or not Putin, quote unquote, won this scenario, right, he's still technically in power. Um, He looks really weak. Yeah. I mean, Vlad in his heyday, he just fucking, as you said, rains down hellfire, puts this shit down, chokes Pergozin with his own bare hands on TV, (laughs) and then, like, feeds him to a bear. You know? I'm, I'm like dead ass. I know that you're making slight hyperbole, but like this is a situation where like the degree to which Putin has so boldly and publicly di- disposed of mm-hmm. uh, his dissenters. Um, oh my god! I, now, of course, you know I'm I'm so sorry to all Russians. All your names sound the same to me. I don't know if that's Russianist, but uh, the the spy in London, they just like polonium poisoned, yeah. and he just like. <laughs> He fucking died on national television, like with radiation poisoning, you know? And then we have Alexei Navalny, who's been, yeah. you know. And one of the reasons why Russia makes sure that it's always in like a very signature style is they want you to know that it's them. Like, you know, the the joke is like, we don't know what happened. He fell out of window. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, it's mysterious. Yeah. He'd, he'd fall out of window 400 feet away from building. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so the whole point is, you know, and they deny it, but no one believes it. They don't believe it. They don't expect you to believe it. And yeah. this is a situation where you just expect, you know, Prigozhin to literally get executed on public television. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But instead, as, as you mentioned, like, no, he gets to, like, go on permanent vacation in Belarus, which of the places I would want to go on permanent vacay, like, Belarus is extremely low on that list. Um, and, like, I still feel that there's so much we don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that, like, I feel very much in the dark on this. Um, yeah. And we may be for quite some time. Yeah. But I mean, you know, this is this is a this is a overwhelmingly a David and Goliath, like in the in the most classic of terms where like there's no again, we're back to like them kind of bio mission showing their hand on how damaged they are from the war in Ukraine. Right. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's, you know, there's only so much you can do and so much uh, revenge you can seek if you don't if everybody is dead. Right. Like if all your foot soldiers literally are dead or starving, you know. That's a really good point that all of this really does stem back to the invasion of you, the failed invasion of Ukraine. And now the, the slug fest um, that is there, that (laughs) there was a joke that, you know, the Ukrainians made a joke that for a long time, Russia has been the second strongest army in Ukraine. And now it's clear (laughs) that Russia is the second strongest army in Russia, (laughs) Um, which I think, yeah, which is, like absolute yeah. chef's kiss. Like the Ukrainians have done a wonderful job, but they're the re- they're the big winners here. Let's let's be yeah. honest. Like they're the big winners here. That anything that shows, first of all, that Russia, how weak Russia is, and if you're a strong man like uh, Putin, then uh, an, an armed rebellion is a pretty 
big crack in the in in, in the facade. But yeah. also the fact that like any sort of distraction uh, that takes away Russia's focus on prosecuting the war, I think has to uh, be to Ukraine's advantage. But like. There were some people, so there was some speculation on Fox News um, during the uh, advance on Moscow that um, three people helped coordinate this. Uh, sorry, three three groups helped coordinate this. The first was Joe Biden. Uh, the second was NATO. And the third was Mossad. So... <laughs> Would you like to comment on the involve on your your belief in the involvement of Joe Biden, NATO, and uh, Mossad, which is the Israeli uh, intelligence services, um, uh, in, in the rebellion? Uh, better known around the world, of course, as the Three Amigos, as mm-hmm. we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wow! So it's just so they're they're full on Putin apologists. Then so we're just like we're gonna lean hard into it, like we're trying to break down the door. <laughs> I am, I would not like, to, I'm, I would like to say that I'm surprised that it's, you know, shocking on some level, right? But like, you know, we're talking about RT, which like was regularly just like reposting clips of Tucker Carlson being a Putin apologist, right? Oh, God. Oh, 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 to be alive now. <laughs> it's, uh, a, it's a little brain melting. At least. It really is. Yeah, that like... I was watching Fox. I was interested in how they were going to respond in real time, like before they have, you know, like a party line. Yeah. And yeah. the answer was they went full nut job on air. Yep. Um, this is in in um, on um, uh, the Infowars um, like podcast I listened to, Knowledge Fight. They call this the wet cement period, where like <laughs> the narrative is infinitely moldable and drawable and you just want to see like what their reaction to the wet cement is you know what i mean oh that's a really i love that that's a great way to put it that and their yeah. their wet cement period was knucking futs like <laughs> I, I like it was a little shocking to me like honestly like biden i get that normal target they just you know they play the hits like nato i kind of get because like if you're pro russia like okay like you're anti-NATO, Trump hates NATO. Okay, but Mossad, <laughs> Mossad to the most pro-Israel, like you know, ostensibly, right? Like the like the people who have a like, what is it? Uh, like Jesus for Jews or whatever it yeah, is. You know what I mean? The Jews like for the, Jesus like, crowd. Com- completely disingenuous, right? Uh, and now they're gonna rope in the Mossad, which they love. Like the Mossad is such a funny. It's like the Masons, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, the four weird cards you keep in your back pocket. Like the Masons, the Mossad, the Bilderberg Group, George Soros. I guess George Soros is more like a face card. Yeah, I, I said uh, that. I was I was a little shocked it was Mossad and not George Soros. Yeah. Um, I do want to note to those listeners who are not up on their Soros lore. Um, <laughs> In in real life, this is true. Soros has turned over control of both his for-profit and non-profit yep. activity to his son now. So yep. y'all have to figure out who the new Soros is and and what you're going to be saying about that. So I'm just saying you got to update uh, you got to update your <laughs> your narratives here. Uh, well, keep in mind though, they the same right wing was very very quick to cast uh, Obama as the shadow president mm-hmm. when Joe Biden took over. So you never know. Yeah, and like, and it wasn't Hillary Clinton this time around. It wasn't Obama. Like it was mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Like, 
I believe many things about Joe Biden. I do not believe that he's been secretly working behind the scenes with Putin's chef to like foment a doomed rebellion against Vlad. Like, like with all due respect, like we are generally better organized at the uh, overthrowing governments where we have some practice. The CIA has some practice doing this. Like, if the CIA were behind it, I, I really doubt that they would have noped out at the last minute. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, if, if we know anything about the CIA uh, or the American government and its uh, its favorite thing, which is, you know, spreading democracy, it's we're just going to keep in every slugfest until <laughs> far beyond its feasibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so this is one of those situations where I think it, it serves something like a Rorschach test. Um, and I think that's helpful that we yeah. get to see, as you said, in the wet cement period, where people go and like a lot of, you know, a lot of liberals, a lot of progressives I know did what I thought was reasonable. They started reading Timothy Snyder. They started like, <laughs> you know, going to, I mean, Anne Applebaum is another good voice in this space. Obviously she doesn't have the chops of Snyder, but she's a, she's, she's an expert in the field. Like they went to places out with people experts i think we would know a great deal about this but like the response on the right and the deafening silence from trump yeah um do you think it's that they're worried that the russian money spigot's gonna get turned off like what do you think is driving this I think it's a bunch of things, right? Like, it's like, if we know anything about the Republicans, like in their sort of modern iteration, it's like they dump losers the minute that it's proven that they are going to lose. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, there is obviously no loyalty and there never has been any loyalty. So part of it is that, like, you know, I think I think primarily you are absolutely correct, which is like worrying about, like, where the flow of this magical loan money is going to come into the Trump, you know, system if you will the trump machine uh but also like this has been such a bad idea and a losing effort and so poorly received from the beginning and it's like the right has this weird like blood loyalty to anyone who is ostensibly trying to do the quote-unquote family values thing which is also just like we could do a whole episode about why (laughs) fascists choose family values as a heading frequently uh, but now it feels like it's like the brand is losing so hard that they have like just from purely a PR perspective, no choice but to like cut bait and move on. You know, I, I you know I hadn't thought about that about like the PR point of view, the like the the winning losing thing. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's pretty yeah. convincing. Um, I, I mean. Maybe, you know, they're going to find the next strongman du jour. Maybe they're going to keep, you know, they're going to start slobbering even more over Viktor Orban in Hungary, you know, um, who is also a giant loser, too. He just hasn't gone around. I mean, Vlad's been the one sticking his dick in the toaster. So, um, (laughs) hey, listen, Biden just has just had Modi at the White House. So, like, that's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's totally fine. and good. So, I, I, I mean, this is obviously a story that we're going to revisit as soon as we get more updated information. We're still a lot dealing with the fog of war uh, yeah. here. But I think that all of these threads are going to matter. And I, one last thing. So the Wagner Group was responsible for organizing a lot of the troll farms in the 2016 and 2020 elections. 
So what do you, do you think that there's going to be any impact on the 2024 election? Or do you think that they're just going to find somebody else to try to cook that stuff up? I mean, again, we're back to they're nothing but a, a, a scarecrow suit full of bees. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're going to find it's just like the uh, Cambridge Analytica story, which was like, by the way, like that entire the thing that that person was selling was bullshit. Yeah. And they paid millions of dollars to be sold that bullshit. Right. Because of the promise. Yeah. And ultimately, it didn't matter. Like the thing that actually convinced that, you know, like in terms of the troll farming. Right. was just like kind of memes on Reddit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, I I don't know, like sometimes. I don't know. My Sorry, my brain is glitching. Give me one second. But I, I wonder if they're going to have the resources, you know, like all of these things take a tremendous amount of resources, even if all you're doing is paying 100 people to do nothing but sit on a computer for 16 hours a day and post like yeah. that does take up a certain amount of like human capital. You got to feed them. Right. Like famously, they uh, uh, farmed a lot of this um, labor out to the citizens of North Macedonia. My family is a uh, country of origin uh, because it's extremely, extraordinarily poor. Uh, when my grandparents visited in the 80s, they showed them their one light bulb. They said, look, look at it. It's amazing. Uh, and it's, a you know, like, so they're going to they're going to find some source of cheap labor if they can pay for it. Right. Like, this mm. is the big question is like, will Russia be able to pay for it? Will dark money in the U.S. be able to pay for it? Like they've sunk a lot of money into losing campaigns, you know, and interest rates are high. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I think that you're right that like it really comes down to the cash. Is Russia going to have money to spend on this? Like yeah. maybe if they wrap up the war in Ukraine, but right now they they seem to have more pressing things than trying to prevent a Joe Biden second term, which yep. as far if I were Russia, like would be more of the same. It's not catastrophic. It's nothing crazy is going to happen. Um yep. so you can just sort of like stay the course there as you uh as you desperately try to not, you know, get murdered by mercenaries. Um, All I have to say is this is generally why everyone who says we should turn over more of our military to Eric Prince, Blackwater and uh, mercenary groups. This is, this is why you, you don't do that. Um, Nope. Yeah. Mercenaries generally not a great idea historically. Uh, I was going to say, this is a, uh, this is old information. This is Machiavelli. This is Sun Tzu. You know what I mean? Like literally in them, they're both just like, nope, <laughs> fuck mercenaries because you need soldiers willing to fight and soldiers who are going to fight need to be willing to die. And yeah. mercenaries have to be alive to get paid. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're Alexander the Great, whose strategy was uh, before we gather up the people who will die for us. Let's just make sure it's cool so that they don't kill us while we're sleeping first. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so we are back to all mistakes have been made before <laughs> and will be made again. Speaking of mistakes that have been uh. made before and will be made again. Uh, the second biggest story this week. I will say it's the second biggest story. No matter what the news media tried to make it out, this was actually significantly less important. But also much funnier. Um, a submarine uh, went down. <laughs> submersible. I, I hesitate to even call yeah. it a submarine. Mm-hmm. Went down. Uh, run by a billionaire. Um, can't remember his name. Don't care enough to look it up. Don't care. Um, 
Uh, oh, I do. It, I do. It's Stockton Rush. There we go. Stockton Rush. I knew it was some stupid, stupid name that sounded <laughs> like the primary antagonist uh, from an 80s teen movie. Um, I was going to say, it sounds like just Northeastern name bananagrams, you know? Yeah, it, <laughs> it's very much random name generator, uh, preppy yeah. white dude. Um, went down to visit the Titanic and uh, turns out rich dude don't make submersible good. Thing imploded after a really, really, really long and involved search uh, for the submersible. Uh, I think five people died. Um, yep. And uh, so we're going to use this to talk about safety regulations. So, Sarah, you've talked on TikTok and on the podcast about the safety regulations you and uh, Scorpion Honey and all, all the Metal Honey huh. products have to go through um, yeah. to go to market. Why do we have safety regulations? <laughs> You know, I had this thought today as I pulled up behind this white work van that had uh, a seal on it that, like, was a certification for certified floor covering installers. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I was driving behind them, I thought, like, you know, thank fuck, right? Like, thank God. There's another truck, by the way, that drives around in my neighborhood that's also a work van and it's painted entirely in um, uh, insane clown posse colors with the hatchet man on the side. And what I wonder as I as I see both of those in the same neighborhood is like, aren't we so lucky that most of us live in a world where because of organizations like the professional floor covering installers, you know, or the uh, uh, electrical unions, right? Like there are all these different organizations that you both pay into, that you uh, work for sometimes, you know, as part of a trade school or whatever. And there's this kind of uh, process whereby people who have worked in your industry for a long time, we'll get back to that in a moment, because mm-hmm. that was that was a whole part of his thing. Uh, old white guys, which were exactly the people that stopped and rush, despite being an old white man in his 50s himself, uh, did not want to hire. <laughs> so we got a bunch of people in their 20s, mm-hmm. a bunch of engineers in their 20s. Um and, uh, you know, with these certification processes, uh, they tell you how not to die doing the thing that you're doing. Uh, a few years ago, um, I was part of a consultation project for writing um, video scripts for a tree trimming company. And so to write the script that was updated and a little bit snappier, a little bit faster, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They had us watch all the old training videos. Tree trimming is fucking terrifying, Matthew Goodman. Tree trimming, there are like 10 separate ways you can die. You can be electrocuted. You can be struck by lightning. You can be hit by a car on the ground. You can have the truck that you're in be hit by a car and it turn over and slam you into the ground, wrestler style. Ooh. There are so many ways to hurt yourself trimming trees and they needed new videos to like for these young people who are coming in with shorter attention spans, no judgment. (laughs) Um, But the world is full of those things. And what's wild is like, I don't do electrical work on my own house Mm -hmm. because I'm afraid of dying. Um, And this man went two and one half miles under the goddamn ocean in a hull, if you don't know, made of five inch thick fiberglass layers. Now, what does that actually look like? What they had, I'm so sorry to be dominating the conversation. I'm fascinated no, by this. I Matt. love this. I have, this is great. I have watched every construction video. I could scream into the ether about this forever. 
Have you seen a pallet wrapper? Do you know what that is? No. It's a it's a big spool that they keep shrink wrap on, and you you put the pallet on wheels, and you hold it, and you wrap it around. It goes around real fast. Mm-hmm. They had one of those for fiberglass, which is uh, it's a carbon fiber, right? So mm-hmm. high tension, high strength, super thin carbon fiber, and they wrapped it and then uh, shellacked it with a hardening agent over and over and over again until it was five inches thick, mm-hmm. and. <sighs> Once they did a couple of tests, not to the Titanic depth, the only way, so in, in NASA advised these people to do a body scan, like a, like a high, high resolution scan, like a, like an x-ray basically of the hull of the ship after it's been stressed under the ocean for a while. They didn't do that. They only monitored the stress oh. with uh, high sensitivity acoustic sensors oh. that were in the hull of the boat. What? So... This NASA seems like a pretty good expert on this topic, mm-hmm. considering they fling mm-hmm. things into space. Um, and I have to say, going under the ocean, terrifying. Going into space, terrifying for different reasons. Yep, opposite. Uh, opposite reasons. Instead of having no pressure and dealing with vacuum, yep. you're dealing with all the fucking pressure. So I'm yep. just saying, when NASA's just like, hey, this is how you stress test your shit, um... You, you probably should should listen, I would think. And the, the reason, if anybody's wondering, aside from just like our general uh, class warfare, this is a person who on the news when he was interviewed, laughed, pulled out the uh, uh, the release form, the liability release form, where it said they had a death as a potential consequence four times on the front page. And he laughed. He said, ha ha. And then he said, where do I sign? And uh, Poseidon said, I can help you with that. (laughs) I have to say, the thing here is that, like, okay, maybe this rich jackass, he has a death wish, doesn't give a shit, right? But he's bringing other people along for the ride. You know, the 19-year-old son of one of the rich dudes on here brought his Rubik's Cube with him because he wanted to break the world record for, uh, I guess, deepest depth in which a Rubik's Cube is solved, I guess. <sighs> which, by the way, this is, like, a definitely a rich person aspiration when you have, like, literally yeah. no real problems in your life or, like, things yeah. to do. You have to make up dumb shit to achieve. Um, like, yeah. no one cares, dude. It's just you. Um, but, like... There is a sense of responsibility, one would hope, that people would have under many situations when a they're responsible for like the livelihood of a lot of people which is like what entrepreneurs uh especially of these large organizations the founders of these large organizations have they're responsible for the fate economic fate of a lot of different people but you would hope they'd have it even more so when the literal lives of people are in the hands and they're are in your hands and they are trusting you to have done your utmost to make sure that the submersible that you're loading them into is safe because they are not responsible for making or designing this or testing it. You are. So let's go to those engineers, those 20 something engineers. Why are, why is it potentially an issue that you had a team of young engineers working on this? 
you know, what's also funny besides the fact that they were young is he actually hired a lot of engineers from the aerospace Institute or not Institute aerospace industry, which again, opposite problems, zero pressure, mm-hmm. uh, which is also where they got the inspiration to, to build the hulls out of carbon fiber. Genius. Brilliant. Um, but you know, I say this as having, uh, dated, uh, an, an engineer who worked setting the ground footings for like transform, uh, transformer stations, like big power stations. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always said these are so they're so smart and they're so self-confident and the glaring errors that they have in a lot of their work that is just something that like you can't there's there's nothing in the world in which experience trumps book learning there's not one thing in the world there's a reason why older nurses rule the floor in every hospital they've seen everything they've done everything like uh and you can't (laughs) when you're dealing with life and death. Like what drives me so crazy is this guy has Elon Musk syndrome, who also famously was sued several times because he doesn't like beeping. He doesn't like alarm beeps and he doesn't like the color yellow. So he's had a bunch of terrible accidents um, at his Tesla and um, battery factories. But this guy goes on and on about how all these certifications and all these tests are anti-innovation. And he, like Reagan, you know, the Challenger disaster happened because Reagan wanted to make spaceflight like an Arby's drive through mm-hmm. you know, like Reagan said, and I don't know what the, who, what, what did Reagan think he was going to FedEx to the fucking moon? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, but Reagan had this idea of spaceflight being like a consumer service mm-hmm. and this fucking Yahoo, the Stockton rush King dipshit of dipshit Valley. I guess we can't say dipshit mountain had this idea of submarine travel as like a a tourist event Mm -hmm. and all these, all these naturists were like, yeah, you know what? Fucking great. We'll just have the ocean floor full of like, we'll have a senior frogs down there and it'll just be covered in garbage. Fantastic. (laughs) I want to note that, you know, NASA and some other space programs have switched to a much cheaper model of sending less tested things out into space, but there's one key caveat. No people in them. Ding, ding, ding. They don't send people (laughs) up. So if the whole thing fucking blows up, like some microchips eat it, but not a single human life is lost. Oh shit. Yeah. And like the, I guess the idea, I mean, first of all, like this is Shakespearean in it's like hubris, right? Yes. That's it absolute like classic levels of hubris but i think also here i think you point out something important that we have this sort of like culture of hero worship around these um heroic quote-unquote entrepreneur type the move fast and break thing ethos so what might you think you know from a business point of view what might this help us learn about that particular ethos and where it works and where it doesn't? I mean, this is, we're in this age, right? As my friend Matt always says, which is uh, wealth is insulating. And I think it's insulating in every single way, which is like you're insulated from uh, accountability. You're insulated from sort of the day-to-day life of the people on the bottom that you're exploiting for your billions. Um, And in a very like literal way, you are insulated from death and danger, right? Like you don't like no one's probably 
I mean, probably not going to like rob you or whatever, because you're just not in those spaces where those things happen, right? Yeah. Like that, like I'll be taking the helicopter. Thank you very much. Like I will not be down with the rabble. Uh, and then it feels like it comes up against this, like, you know, the fact that uh, old Davy Jones locker said, come on in. I, I'll be happy to turn you into paste in an instant, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? I guess what I don't get about this is that, like, despite all of the uh, all of the obvious lessons here, right? Talking about space flight, like SpaceX is still trundling on uh, as normal uh, as it has for a while. And like, I haven't seen this being used or thought of or even living in the popular imagination as like, hey, maybe something is intrinsically wrong about our like economic system, our society. If like this is what quote unquote successful people are doing with their resources, their time, their money, and in this case, their lives. Like, um, I I talked to some people before, like, if you had Elon levels of money, if you had uh, Jeff Bezos levels of money, like, what would you do with them? And I have to say that talking to a single person, not a single one of them said, like, I'm going to fucking go down to the Titanic. Yeah. I have no desire. Like, I would spend a lot of money traveling. Don't get me wrong. Like, of course, we all would. But, you know, I mean, like, it, it it almost feels like, you know, my first thought is to make sure that no school kid in the state of Indiana ever goes without breakfast, lunch, and dinner, yeah. right? Like, really, really, really fundamentally basic stuff. And, you know, the same megalomania, the same hero worship of these, like, ultra capitalists is what leads people to do things like, you know, try to go down and see the Titanic just for funsies. Side note, side note, side note, side note. The viewing portal that they have in this thing so right keep in mind we're five layers deep we're basically in hardened we're, we're essentially in a cast right yep. we're essentially in a carbon fiber cast that's five inches thick so it's molded at the top so it has this lip now in every other underwater craft this would be made of metal and the window would be bolted right it would be bolted inside and outside mm-hmm. very strong seal seals good 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 <laughs> It is glued in the Titan. It was glued in place. It was glued in place with a kind of marine contact cement. Um, and I also want to say that. Okay, were you a, were you a MythBusters fan? Yeah, great. Back show. in the day, mm-hmm. do you remember when they tested the diving suit or the diving bell? Yeah, that was very cool because I love those old timey mer- suits. Do you remember what happened when they decompressed the diving suit when it was all the way underwater? The entire suit obviously had a gelatin, ballistics gelatin dummy. The entire body of the person in the suit was compressed into the helmet. (laughs) The entire, I'm going to say that again, the entire human body of this person, all limbs push like toothpaste into the helmet. The popping noises of the, of the replica bones (laughs) I will remember for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. There are videos. um, If you don't know, one of my uh, stoner interests is the chemical safety board video, like safety videos. Mm -hmm. They're like uh, incident reports. Uh, Delta P is the change in pressure between two underwater systems. Mm -hmm. And Delta P is the number one cause of industrial diver deaths. And what happens is you have like, let's say two tanks 
and they have a pipe between them and one tank is really full and the other tank is very empty and the diver goes down and he pulls the grate which is supposed to break the delta p force and all of a sudden his body gets stuffed up against the pipe yeah and you have all this water that's pressing down on him going into that that really wants to go and equalize the pressure on the other side that diver is going through the pipe. Yeah. It doesn't matter if the pipe is four inches wide. It doesn't matter if the pipe is eight inches wide. That diver's whole body is going to go through the pipe. And what happened to these people is so horrific to me. When I say that they all got shot out of whatever tiny crevice happened in the thing, because they, they lost contact at an hour and 45 minutes, which is almost to depth. Whatever tiny first crack, and I would bet $1,000 it was that stupid fucking glued-in window, their whole bodies got forced through that hole as it collapsed. <laughs> Which is god-awful and horrific. All I have to say is, um, we do this safety testing in dangerous situations for very good reason. And as you pointed out, experience really matters for engineers because, uh, and I can say this as a formerly young person, uh, hubris is definitely, um, an overconfidence definitely comes from youth. And this can be good in some cases where you're not scarred by past mistakes. So sometimes you're willing to take risks. Others aren't, but that's why you have mixed teams. Yep. Um, not all people who are overly cautious, not all people who are insane risk takers, but a mix of uh, uh, of the two. So you have the right combination of experience um, and innovation. And like, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm just gonna be straightforward. This wasn't an innovation. We've gone <laughs> to the Titanic before. Other vehicles that other vehicles exist and are certified that can go to these depths. Yeah. And so what was the innovation here? What was the driving idea? I mean, what, so again, uh, it was the Reagan-esque theory that it would be possible to build Mm. a tourist grade, a tourism grade uh, underwater vehicle that people could just go down and look at Uh. the Titanic with. That was the whole point is he wanted to prove that this was possible and, that all these safety regulations were just like getting in the way of innovation and a a burgeoning potential tourism industry. Um, Just, you know, typical white guy blithering idiot stuff. So I love this idea that he's just like, it's too expensive, right? We need to make it cheaper, which is incidentally also one of the driving things behind uh, SpaceX and Jeff Bezos company, something blue. I can't remember. Um, They want to make space tourism happen. Yep. Um, do you think they're going to learn from this? You know, we're just going to keep, we're just going to, every decade or so, I think, we're just going to send a group of one person who should know better and a bunch of people who couldn't possibly to their deaths. And I guess this is just like the fucking price we pay for somebody who gets it in their head that, again, we need to turn X but an Arby's drive through you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the other um like white dude thing back in the age quote unquote of exploration of like James Cook just like getting annihilated by a bunch of uh natives like <laughs> um, Do You know what my what my first thought was about this is like 
you know, around, uh, let's see, the Wright brothers, that was 1916, is that correct? That was the first flight, 1916? You know as much as I do. You know what? I'm going to look that up right now in another window. First flight. Right. Okay. It already knew what I wanted. Thank you. It said, oh, listen, people have been Googling this all. Yeah, 1903. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So we got first flight. God damn, that means you've had the uh, aviation industry 120 years. Fuck. Uh, anyway, it reminds me of those like 1890s to 1910 videos of all the men trying to build flying contraptions, as mm-hmm. they called them. Do you know what I mean? Like there were one, like the guy who died jumping off of the Eiffel Tower with the stupid fucking wings. Like, I feel like we are entering into the co- kind of uh, inevitable sort of silly dying inventors period of when technology jumps forward, which is like, again, it feels and like an inevitable part of the cycle. Yeah. But I, the difference there is that the guy jumping off it just like only only owning himself in that situation, Correct. right? Yeah. Well, to be fair, we did immediate as soon as we had airships, we commercialized them. True. That seemed like more practically applicable, though. You get from point A to point B on the planet. Like true. the goal wasn't to be like go up there and stay there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So that's why I'm saying that, like. When I think about rich people thing that I things I would do, like one person I thought had a really good answer. They're just like, you know, I have this friend who's had this dream uh, of starting a rehab facility and uh, for people, regardless of whether or not that they could pay, but, you know, they could still get a world class rehab treatment, a safe place to yeah. be, get them off the street and for as long as they need. I guess the thing that gets, strikes me is like, I don't care how you feel about uh, addiction or anything, those things, uh, any of that stuff. But the key there is that it's focused on helping people. Yep. Right. It's like identifying a problem in the human world and being that that could be solved with money to some extent. A small, unsexy problem at that. Yeah. And then being like, hey, if I had money, I, I, w- I would put my money towards solving this problem that can be fixed with money um, yep. that will help people. And like, I want to like go into space for funsies. I want to go to the Titanic for funsies do not to me appear to be actual problems that people have. Like there's no one out there going like, I, I can't think of a single child who, who is just like, you know, my future would be set. You know, my, my family life would be better. My professional life, my personal life. If only I could go to the Titanic for cheaper. <laughs> You know, meanwhile, uh, in Indiana, by the way, if you're out there and you have a ton of money and you want to come hang out with people who absolutely will never fall for San Francisco hype, there's actually quite a lot of moved out San Francisco, uh, um, uh, what's the word, sort of sensibly spent money. So um, if you don't know, um, Chris Baggett um, owned Exact Target. It sold off to a Salesforce. He's like a 300 millionaire, you know, whatever. And he actually, in the most unsexy way, started one of the first like commissary style delivery kitchens. And uh, the thing that he was known for, so it's almost impossible to get a driving job for cluster truck because the money's so good that people stay with that job. And he, he, he you know, listen, I, I, this is shameless PR and I don't, you know, resent him at all for that. But mm-hmm. one time he pitched me a story that he had a single mom that delivered lunch for him. Uh, and that she had made $50,000 and she drove around with her kid in the back of the car. And like for her, it was kind of a godsend because you never get out of the car for the driver safety, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
that's what he, that's what Chris Baggett did with his three hundred million dollars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a it's you know it makes money, right? It's still a profit, still capitalism. Mm-hmm. But you pay a premium to get hot food delivered by someone who's paid a fair wage. Yeah, and like there's so many things you like Dolly Parton books. Yeah, like, books, books. It's that simple. You don't need to invent anything. You don't need to innovate. <laughs> Just like there are some people who don't have access to books. You know what I'm gonna do? Gonna give them access to books. Doesn't require power, doesn't have a battery, like there's nothing, you know, that's like, you could literally benefit from this if you literally live in the uh, holler foothills in a cabin with no power and running water. Exactly. You You could be like, you know what, there are people who have trouble with heating in the winter. So I'm going to provide a fund for people to get heating assistance, which is shockingly hard to get in some places from the government where it's supposed to exist and they're always underfunded. It's like... There are real problems in the world that can be solved pretty simply with money. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what always, like, people people say, like, I shouldn't be. I've been criticized for being not appropriately uh, 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 solemn or saddened um, by this particular event. But I'm just like, so there's an old joke, a lawyer joke. of Like, in, you probably heard this version. Like, what do you call 10 lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? What? A good start. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so I've adapted that to billionaires. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, speaking, uh, I, we had talked about this before the show, but I think it's important to bring up that you and I had both been awaiting eagerly uh, the cage fight between Elon oh. Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, <sighs> like with all great things in the world, it stemmed from a Twitter beef. Um. But unfortunately, it's been called off um, by Elon's mother. And Sarah, what what are your thoughts on this on this terrible tragedy? Number one, all I want to say is, had it happened, accidents happen all the time. People make the mistake of putting uh, bleach in pneumonia and then locking all the doors and running out of the room. Uh, that happens. It's a mistake that happens all the time in among fast food workers. And what wouldn't it be funny if that's a mistake that someone made with only Musk and Zuck in the room at the same time? Yeah. So I'm sad that that will not have a potential to happen. But like a fucking course, a fucking course, King Pussy Boy, fucking mm. Elon Musk has mommy call off his so he doesn't like hurt his you know hurt his precious braces <laughs> teeth or whatever the fuck. <laughs> It, it is per- it is perfect. I had hoped for the best outcome to the cage match situation, because as you know, the the old saying in cage ma- fights: two men enter, one man leaves. But I either was, way, we all win. I, I was praying for two men enter and no one leaves. No one leaves. That's all I wanted. I said just lock the doors and throw in some kind of noxious chemical mm-hmm. and let God sort it out, you know? Yeah, there's a trope in anime where uh, the hero and the villain punch each other at the same time. <laughs> and I, like, desperately was hoping that, like, that would be how the fight would end, is that they would anime-style punch each other at the same time and then both die. Isn't there... Oh, it's in Bridget Jones' diary where Colin Firth and Hugh Jackman have the most embarrassing fist fight of all time. <laughs> I was actually really looking forward to just, like, exactly what that experience was going to offer, which is, like, two noodle-armed, like, doughy men just sort of, like, glancing, like, weak knuckles off of each other over and over again. Yeah, I mean, we have seen the spectacle in recent years of, like, YouTubers, uh, like Jake and Logan Paul, KSI, fighting... Um, in MMA and in boxing, but to their defense, at least they train a little bit. 
<laughs> I was really looking forward to Elon showing up being just like, I don't need to train. Training is for losers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go in there and use my pure machismo um, uh, to win this shit. And Zuckerberg, of course, knowing everything in theory, but nothing in fact. I was going to say like Zuck, like, like sitting down with like his VR goggles, yeah. like, like, you know, like going through all the fake fighting matches, of course, never once really ever exchanging a blow with anyone until the day, you know, Zuck did has been in going to some uh, jujitsu tournaments, although of course there was one where apparently he got choked out and there's video of it somewhere, but I, I have not seen it. Um, I've been told that it exists, but will for be forever buried. Um, Perfect. Uh, but all I have to say is that because we're not going to get the cage fight of the century, we're just going to have to pin our hopes that one day that person breaks that, um, that hush money agreement and uh, releases that video for all of our, our edification. Um, I want it. I know that like, I am not, I, I just want to make this clear for any lawyers out there. We are not actually wishing death on anyone this is all done as a joke we we wish them both the best of health um but at the same time you know if they did get in a fight if they did get a, in, in an actual fight between the two of them we don't we are not required by law to openly wish for them to survive <laughs> we can be agnostic on the topic and that i am yeah <laughs> so i have to say as Someone who really loves the summer months. I <laughs> recently, we had some chicken sausage uh, the other day. Yes. And it was a little dull. It wasn't <laughs> quite, the flavor profile wasn't quite as jazzy as I'd hoped it would be. So, yeah. uh, do you know what I used to help, you know, punch up that chicken sausage? I knew it's got to be that sweet stinger coming through. I did. I brushed the next batch uh, before I grilled it with a little bit of sweet stinger. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> it was Listen, so a little good. a little you gotta get a little bit of that Maillard reaction going on, but a little Maillard, a little garlic, a little uh Chinese black vinegar. Ooh la la. Yeah. So good. So what else does Metal Honey Foods have cooked up for the summer? Oh, I love your metaphor. I love your pun. <laughs> um I uh we have recently switched to smaller jars of uh of burger jam so you'll be able to get it more often. Mm. Um we are limited on our batch size, but I would rather people people be able to buy it more often when they want it. Um and you know, if you're really crazy about it, go ahead and buy two jars. I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh but um we're going to have that with a uh, cute little um banded tops as a little short-term promotion for 4th of July with um Ooh. red and white and blue and white. You know the little like yeah. farm style, you know what I mean? So that would be fun. Um, but yeah, everything else is on sale. Metalhoney.com. Go find it. Use the offer code uh, PERPSDUE for free shipping. And where can they find you on TikTok? Oh, yeah. Now I have restarted. You can find me at, oh, I think it's Watch Your B-Hole. B-E-E Hole. Um, <laughs> I, I did not know that before I asked. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's uh, W-A-T-C-H, your, U-R-B-B-E-E, whole. Watch your b-hole. <laughs> and you, so you can find all the great videos there. Uh, do yeah. you call them videos? TikToks? I don't know. Uh, TikToks. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people, I feel like that just dates us on the platform, but everything will, you know? <laughs> I, I feel ancient on every platform I'm on, with the exception of when I'm out and about uh, here in New York. 
with all the old people, I feel extraordinarily <laughs> young. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you can find the uh, the podcast at Perp Stew on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Send us questions, comments, leave a like, review, share, all that fun stuff. Um, it really helps us out with the algorithm, as you can imagine. So any engagement is helpful. Um, but that's going to do it for us for this very jam-packed week. Uh, this has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.